what sort of has been like the joy of this for you? Right. Well, you know what it is, it's students and relationships. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's how I live my life. Uh, I've always been obviously background in student affairs, background in community colleges, all student-centered kinds of things. I enjoy helping people move to what I call their next level. Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Susana Munoz. Today is a special treat as I get to interview my dissertation advisor, mentor, friend, Dr. Larry Evers. We'll learn about his career, his wisdom, and his insights into the field of higher education and his work with community colleges. I'm so excited that you agreed to do this, Larry. Uh, Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work along um, side and adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesday. So find us at studentaffairsnow.com or on Twitter. This episode is brought to you by Stylus. Visit styluspub.com or use the promo code SANOW for 30% off free shipping and free shipping. This episode is also sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadersshape.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. So as I mentioned, I'm your host, Susana Munoz. My pronouns are she, her, hers, ella. I'm an associate professor of higher education leadership at Colorado State University. I am hosting this conversation today from Fort Collins, Colorado, which is the ancestral homeland of the Ute, Arapaho, and Cheyenne's people. So let's get into our conversation. Dr. Ebers, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Susanna. It's really good to reconnect with you after several years here, although we've always been in contact. So uh, yes. it's a pleasure for me to be with you. Yes, I was trying to figure out like, when did I first meet Larry Ebers? And I, I wanna say, it was when I was trying to maybe getting hired as the, what we used to call them minority liaison officers at Iowa State University for the College of Education. And I think either you were part of my search process or you were an associate dean at that time. I can't remember. Well, it was a combination of things. Okay. Uh, one is I knew that you were an under, undergrad uh, graduate oh. from Iowa State, but I did not know you as an undergraduate. Uh, but uh, I knew you, but became known to you as we were recruiting minority liaison officer, but also at the same, same time, Mark Harding in admissions was trying to recruit you to come to the admissions office. And we were good friends and we had worked together on a number of projects. And he said, well, he said, do you know Susana Munoz? And I said, well, I, I do know her from the Colorado State program. And he said, well, she's getting her master's and she's interested in looking and coming back to Iowa State because her family is in Iowa. And I said, okay, let's, so we had, we made a deal that we would recruit you and, uh, we would both recruit you and then you could decide which position you wanted. And uh, of course, obviously we had agreed that whoever hired her paid the, all of the expenses with regard to this. So <laughs> uh, he came in, interviewed with both of us at the same time. And we obviously, I obviously used the pitch uh, to get you into the College of Education and to, to become a part of, part of our program. And so that yeah. sort of the rest of that is history. As we know, you were very effective and uh, uh, then we got you. Got you into the doctoral program uh, yeah. and uh, 
uh, really uh, from there you've really blossomed and uh, so it's it's been a great experience and, and a great relationship over the years so. oh i i agree i i would say so i did not know about the little the back the back <laughs> door kind of deals that you are we're making but that's awesome to know that from all these years but um i do know that when i was a doctoral student you know one of the things that i really appreciate um learning about and because this is something that we didn't really learn about in my master's program was just about the community colleges and, and the community college mission. And so I would love to kind of talk a little bit more about that. But first, sure. you know, I also, you know, know that you have been in higher education for well over 40 years. Um, about 55. 55, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Now, that I'm, now that I'm retired, I'm, I retired after 50 years in higher ed. 50 uh, years. And then, but I still continue to work with community colleges and also uh, other other institutions of higher ed as well so oh my goodness awesome so how have you seen higher education shift over time i'm sure over 50 years you've seen lots of changes and shifts but in what ways have have you shifted over time in what ways have you seen higher education shift over time i think we've all had to shift over time i think it's a, and one of the exciting things about higher education is the challenges that come to us and the opportunities for us to to make change and to to work, I think that probably several things that I've seen uh, over time. Uh, one would be uh, a more inclusive, more diverse student bodies. Uh, I think, which has always been a mantra of mine, uh, and uh, that uh, we are inclusive institutions, and that we've seen uh, major movements in that arena. And so, I'm I'm really happy from that respect. I am, uh, as you know, uh, I, we have lots of students in higher ed. As our conversations say that we need to work on the pipeline for. Uh, administrators uh, who are representative of these groups. And I think that's pretty widely known. We've seen it in terms of teaching, we've seen it in terms of, of uh, representation at the administrative level. And oftentimes student affairs is one area where uh, we do see uh, a lot more diversity than we do in, in faculty ranks mm -hmm. and other leadership roles. Uh, I think there's a, a real concern I see now uh, about the public trust. Uh, we're seeing something that's, that uh, is new to us. Yeah. I think uh, that we, uh, those of us who were first-gen students and, and moved through and watched all of this, uh, uh, even though the Census Bureau indicated we have the highest level of education, 30-some um, percent post having a master's degree, there's, there appears to be a lack of trust uh, about higher education and, and what it's doing. And so I think that's something we really need to work on uh, in terms of, of restoring that trust. Uh, I would say that uh, you know we've we've been through some difficult time. The pandemic is a real example of that, uh, and uh, that uh, we've responded in various ways to it. Institutions have done a lot, a lot of different things, and and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I think it's uh, also a concern about uh, the financial resources. We see more and more states and uh, other institutions uh, focusing on uh, resources, and what it ultimately involves is raising tuition for students. And uh, we've seen some movement there in terms of free community college, but that's probably not going to happen uh, right now uh, for a variety of reasons. But I think that uh, you know states have have had uh, um, while well, higher education was in a leadership role in many states for a long time. There are so many other competing interests now with respect to resources, and everyone at the same time is trying to cut taxes. And uh, so it's a so it's the resource allocation that I think that's been a real. Surprise. On the other hand, we've all been through, uh, you know, I remember some years there were no increases for faculty, no increases in, in uh, institutional resources from the legislature. And so it's resulted in rising tuition. But I think it's a, it's, it's overall, it's a, it's a concerning trend to me. So, 
Yeah. Now, I, you know, one of the things that um, you mentioned was about the public trust, and I wanted to see if we can look, focus on that a little bit more um, because you're in Iowa, and I know um, there have been some efforts in the past to um, dismantle tenure, and I know this happens in other states too, oh, but. No. Um, but I also know it was interesting to see how um, some of the ag businesses kind of came um, in, in defense of, of higher education. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts about. Well, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I have great trust in our president, Wendy Winterstein, uh, who served as, a, as the Dean of Agriculture and Life Sciences for a number of years. I know her personally. I've known her for many years, but uh, she really did go, I understand, uh, to, to bat on the tenure issue, particularly uh, how much, how important it is to to colleges and universities, uh, particularly in the ag sciences, to have uh, people who can come in and do the kind of work that they that they need to do. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're we're right in a phase now. You know, uh, about uh, ten, but it's always been a discussion point. It was even a discussion point at my doctoral uh, inter, of whatever we called it at that point in time, qualifying, whatever it was. Uh, and uh, my major professor from my undergraduate days said, "Well, Larry, what do you think about tenure?" I said, "Oh, I said I think you can do without tenure." Uh, I said, you know, and, I, and that was back in 60, what, 67 or 68, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, but you know, I've really come to appreciate tenure at this point. I can tell, we have enough time, we could, I could tell all kinds of stories about being a tenured professor and making change and, and uh, all of that sort of thing. But you know, so it's one of those things that's always been there, it has a little fuel right now, uh, but I think as people realize uh, the importance of tenure and the decisions that are being made, uh, that, uh, you know, the Chronicle, what last week featured a series of professors who were denied tenure. And uh, it's, uh, so it, it will always be a continuing debate within the academy, so. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that sentiment too. So in, in focusing a little bit about your own trajectory and your, your lived experiences, I know that um, just from what I know from you, you kind of um, came from like an ag education background. Is that correct? Right. That's right. How, how do you go from ag education to community colleges? So what, what was, um, how did you get interested in that? Well, let me tell you a little bit about, uh, I, I came back actually to work at, I was teaching agriculture in, in Iowa high schools and we were running all over the state, all over the, our part of the state to get a graduate class. They were, I would say professors were coming out and teaching the classes. And so I had an opportunity, I worked in residence life as an undergrad, as an RA. Uh, we didn't we call them HRs at the time. And uh, so I, I had become good friends with Chuck Fredrickson, uh, who was a major leader in housing in this country, uh, who recently passed, unfortunately, but uh, I lived to be 91. So that's a, but anyway, uh, so I came back in residence life and uh, I had finished my master's and uh, a couple of people said, well, why don't you go on for a doctor? And I said, well, do I need to go someplace else? And they said, no, we're starting a new higher ed program here. Why don't you, just, if you would just consider and you could work full time uh, and then still do your doctoral work. And so we did. And so started the higher ed program was led by, they just initiated a new program uh, when the community colleges were created as a way to uh, uh, increase the educational level of community college leaders. And so they, they branded it as a higher ed program. And I was in, so I started taking classes and many of the individuals in these classes were also community college people. And so that's how I got acquainted with the, uh, a number of them, uh, and uh, uh, they, what, three or four of them became community college presidents, and uh, I was still in residence life, but then as I finished, uh, I had the opportunity to go to the College of Education to work for Dean Virgil Artemisino, 
and uh, he was a 22 founding dean and was a 22 year dean. Uh, and I was his assistant to the dean and uh, doing uh, all kinds of projects and uh, budget personnel, uh, all facilities, all of that, that sort of stuff. And, and also at the same time, I had a, an academic appointment uh, as an assistant professor. So uh, he said, and he was director of junior colleges in the state of Iowa before he came to Iowa State to start the School of Education, College of Education. Uh, and um, he said, so we got there. And so uh, obviously the region's institutions were providing oversight for the community colleges. They would go out and they have a team who would go out every year and take a look at each of the community colleges to ensure that they were academically uh, in the um, sort of, so to speak, so that the, the nature of the classes and the rigor was there. And uh, so uh, he said, uh, he called me and said, he said, I'm, I'm supposed to go on these visits. And he said, I'm not doing those. He said, I don't really have time. He said, you're going to do those. So, um, so in my first year at the, in the College of Education, I went and my first visit was to Indian Hills Community College in Ottumwa, Iowa. And uh, so I went down there and did that. Uh, and it was, uh, and so I continued to do those throughout the state. And uh, anyway, I, so I was involved in some cases, uh, they weren't as happy with this as others, but we, it was Department of Ed, you know, Department of Ed was the oversight group along with a, a regents representative. So I got to know the Department of Ed folks really well, and, and we were really a, a good team. I didn't go on all of them, but obviously selected ones that he had to do. So uh, we were uh, interested then in saying, okay, uh, if you look around at the leadership teams, there are really no women in leadership roles. I mean, it was all essentially white males. And uh, that's you know, part of the time part. Many of them came out of the K-12 system. Uh, some uh, came from other, other places, but the uh, majority of them were there. And uh, we had a woman by the name of Virginia Moskus Loftus who came to DMAC, Wine Erie Community College, as an as a, as a executive dean, which was essentially the number two there. And uh, she was also good friends with another colleague of mine, Jim Ratcliffe, uh, who actually led, I was, at that point, I was leading the Student Affairs Division program, and uh, Jim was leading the Community College uh, Division. And uh, he, uh, so he knew her, and so we had this meeting about how we could improve uh, and bring women and minorities into leadership roles in community colleges. So we started this program called LINK. And uh, the next year, Jim left, and the next year, Virginia left uh, to go to other places. Jim went to Penn State uh, for the Center for Study of Higher Ed, and uh, uh, Virginia went out to the uh, East or West Coast. So, so anyway, so here we had the LINK program, and uh, it was for women and minorities only, no men at all. Uh, and each of the campuses, uh, I remember working through uh, uh, getting it approved, and obviously I knew enough of the presidents from my prior experiences and being out on the campuses uh, that uh, when we had the uh, we brought this proposal for a new program to the presidents, and they agreed. Of course, obviously we had it all set up before that we knew it was going to pass, but then each each of the uh, colleges would send at least one uh, person to to this uh, year long leadership experience. So it's, and I could tell you a bunch of stories about that, but the background was started. And so the program was started, is now in its uh, 30th year, I think, uh, 30, maybe 31 or 32. Uh, and it's uh, stayed uh, sort of the test of time. I uh, uh, was really, uh, really involved in getting it started. Uh, we were, first we were gonna attend president's meetings all day. And uh, then they decided the presidents were going into executive sessions all the time. So I said, this has got to change. And so we changed the format really into a leadership program rather than just being prepared to be a president. And uh, 
we can say today that uh, it's it's been amazing and uh, still it's a uh, so uh, so we were very involved in that and uh, we uh, we made them uh, sort of camp um, we did most of them in Des Moines because that was where everybody came to at the time and uh, but now uh, we moved that around a little bit so then uh, as we moved along through this we had about 13 14 years of it uh, uh, one of the I uh, had a graduate student by the name of Chuck McFarland, uh, who came from DMAC. Uh, he had a disagreement with the president, and uh, they decided to part ways, and he got an assistantship at Iowa State. And he said, you know, Larry, he said, and uh, I knew him from previously did his work over in, uh, um, I had a team called Industrial Ed and Technology, because he was an automotive guy. And he, so he came to me, and he said, we talked about this. He said, we really need to expand the program and develop the program for men. I said, okay, so let's talk about this. And so we uh, developed then a, a leadership program designed to prepare presidents. We called it CLIC at the time. They changed it now to, to the Iowa Leadership Institute, Iowa Community College Leadership Institute, designed for upper-level administrators, uh, even though we had some, you know, particularly in the beginning, we had a number of women who were moving into those roles and with the idea that they would become presidents. So that was the emphasis that we had. And uh, it was a great, uh, we, we made it totally campus-based. And that's the other thing that I've been able to do is that we were out on the campuses. Uh, we would obviously meet with the president uh, for a little while talking about leadership changes. We also had the opportunity to bring in some of the nation's best community college leaders uh, in terms of academic people, John Roosh, uh, uh, several other people that uh, he, I mean, I, I worked with him at the University of Texas. And also we worked a lot with SESI and uh, trying to look from us. So I, I really wanted to bring in the role of the academic role as well as uh, the community college role. And uh, so it's, it's, it was a nice blend of things that we could do. Uh, and uh, we uh, took the program out of state as well. Uh, we had people from out of state come and join the program, but we also then made, took our community college faculty and staff, the students in the Lincoln programs Johnson County Community College Metro in uh, Omaha, uh, having them get an opportunity to look outside Iowa. One of the things we found, uh, Catherine Boswell has always been a great supporter. And she said, she said, she asked the question once she was here for a seminar and she said, how many of you have worked outside Iowa? One. And uh, so that was, a, so that's why we said, well, we need to really uh, do this national presence. And that's what we did with uh, uh, the Community College Leadership Program. I think that uh, we, uh, We've also had two Iowa State presidents that were really beneficial in terms of our relationship with community colleges. Martin Jiski was the first one in it, but particularly Greg Joffrey. Uh, and they were also very interested in developing community college relations. And uh, we put together an advanced partnership program uh, so students could, could start at uh, the community college and transfer directly to Iowa State seamlessly. And uh, so we were doing a number of things out in the state. And so we were very, very visible. And that's, uh, I think that helped me the most is the fact that uh, I work quite closely with community college leaders. And, but, but starting, a, and there's no question about the two leadership development programs. And at the same time, uh, we had the combination of, you talked about earlier about uh, uh, community college leadership programs. We then, so people who didn't have masters, we said, you need to get your master's, particularly in the link program. This was early on. And so we put away, we, we gave academic credit for those programs as well as, uh, you know, obviously we had assignments and everything. And also we did some early online kinds of things. So. Uh, we really tried to integrate that, and then we also then created the PhD program, uh, which uh, you know again prepared a lot of administrators. So, at one point in time, I think I did some data work. Uh, we had 21 presidents out of the group. Uh, we had 
somewhere around 50, 60 vice presidents and over 110 deans and directors. So, uh, so it's, it's a leadership pipeline that makes a difference. Right. Oh my goodness. That is amazing how you built these um, programs from the ground up. And it was really about those connections and relationships that you had forged, you know, early on. Um, and I understand also it's really important to have that leadership buy-in for, for these things to really be institutionalized. But um, so out of all of that, all of that work, what what has been sort of like your favorite part? What what sort of has been like the joy of this for you? Right. Well, you know what it is. It's students and relationships. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's how I live my life. Uh, I've always been obviously background in student affairs, background in community colleges, all student-centered kinds of things. I enjoy helping people move to what I call their next level, uh, uh, things that they have. I remember a couple of people, one who was president uh, today said, when I came to Link, I was, that was, I said, first of all, why did, she was a faculty member, why did they send me? And she said, and, and I've, I've been with her every, every move she's made administratively, but then she got to, asked to be a dean over some of the five, uh, department chair first. And uh, so she said, what do you think? I said, oh, I think you can. Well, she said, I never thought about that. And I said, well, there are other opportunities. And uh, so she then moved to a dean. And then the next question was, was uh, she was also a business faculty member and the CFO position came open and the president called me and said, what do you think? I said, absolutely. And so she went into that. Well, then, uh, then the vice president of academic affairs retired. And so I said, so are you gonna move to that one? Well, do you think I should? I said, yes. And so then we, uh, I said, the next step for you, she worked on her PhD, she got her PhD. So she was, she started as a community college student. Uh, yeah. And uh, so moved all the way through it. Finally ended up being very successful president for eight years. And she, she always said, I never thought I'd ever do this, but here I am. So, uh, yeah. anyway, so we awesome. used her great role model. And so there, but there are all kinds of stories like that uh, uh, where we've been able to, to work with, then professionals who are many of them were professionals at that point in time and and but i also love working with beginning master's students back in the day i don't do that as much. obviously didn't do that as much as we moved on but uh, we have a separate higher ed master's program in student affairs so anyway but uh, that was that's always been my great joy and, and i continue to have, remain in contact with lots of folks like you uh, and uh, others uh, around the country who are doing good things now surprising many of them are i'm going to some of their retirement parties that's <laughs> <laughs> how can this be how can this be so, oh my goodness uh, yeah. not, i'm not planning on yours by the way no, for no, no, no. it's gonna be a while larry it's gonna right. be good. good we need you yes um you know one of the things you know that is always amazed me about you is that um of the number of presidents that you've you know helped sort of forge through the pipeline and so it's always, and you're still at it today. I kind of feel like you haven't really retired from that because I know I hear things in, on the streets here in, in higher ed about, oh yeah, if you want to be president, call Larry Ebers and he can help you, can help you out. So interestingly enough, I've never been one. So that's, a, yeah. <laughs> and why is that Larry? Why, why did, well, why? I had several, I've had several opportunities doing this during the search process to say, we're happy, Larry, we will, we'll close this search process right now if you'll do this. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not where, that's not where my gifts are. Uh, I think it's in, uh, in working with students and working with leadership development. That's always the kind of thing that I valued in my life. And, uh, you know, not that I couldn't be one. Uh, I've had that also experience at private colleges where I was on the board, I did the search. And they said, we'll stop it right now if you want to. 
And I said, no, that's not me. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's the kind of life that, that I've enjoyed. And now I should say my partner, Barb, as you well know, has been yeah. very supportive of all of this. And we've had lots of meetings at this house uh, with regard to grad students, with regard to community college presidents, trying to solve issues and groups. And so it's, it's just been a, a very good life for me. And I really enjoy this kind of thing. And uh, I don't, I don't have to be in the leadership role. You can, I've always done a number of presentations on leadership from the middle. And, uh, and lots of ways to do that. So anyway, yeah, nice. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, we all enjoy Barb. So I like we appreciate you sharing Barb with us as well. And um, all of you guys as well. So such a lovely relationship that we've had with her. So in in looking at some of the things that you've written about community college leaders in the past, so what are the most important qualities or competencies? of community college leaders? What do, what do they need to, to understand and know to be successful? Uh, well, I think there are a couple of things that I uh, would point people to. American Association of Community Colleges has a competency list. Uh, they're in the third edition. I was proud to say, I'm proud to say that I was part of the first group that was called in to talk about competencies for leadership in community colleges. So it's uh, uh, really uh, an exciting time in that sense of watching that. And so I would say that you really need to look at those. They're, they're good there. They have them for faculty. They have them for mid-level administrators. They have for deans, aspiring CEOs. Uh, so it's, I would really encourage you to take a look at those competencies. But I think a number of them are, are pretty, uh, pretty substantial. And, and you look at the kinds of things that uh, they look at authenticity. Uh, there are two sides. There's the professional side and the personal side. And I would say, um, you know, it's it, we're in an era that's that's very important in terms of, of uh, authenticity, uh, tra uh, transparency, uh, ethical leadership. People who have courage. People who can do conflict management. Uh, uh, and as boards, uh, you know, and I realize that okay, we're in, into an interesting appointment series of things here with regard to presidents. Some some systems office uh, appoint the presidents. Other places where they have local boards, mm -hmm. uh, they appoint them point the president so it sort of depends on on where you're looking and how you're doing it but uh, i think the but still the number one as, as aacc american association of community colleges says says about the future of the presidency it is student success is the north star for anybody who wants to be a community college president and i think that's true yeah. uh, because uh, in almost every presidential search we've done it's about students uh, and so I think that that continues to be the North Star. Now, there is a sort of a changing dynamic here that I see coming forth is that all of a sudden workforce development is becoming a, a real issue. And uh, obviously we need you know, to pay attention to the news, the labor shortages all over. Uh, we're going to solve this crisis. And uh, the other one is resources. Uh, the ability to, to, again, in many states, uh, they reduce resources, uh, uh, but there have been ways for, for people to, offer scholarships and money and, and to do that. And so uh, I would say that there are people are looking more for someone who could fundraise. Uh, from, uh, they used to call it friend raising. Now they've just become bold enough to call it fundraising. Right. So it's a, it's a matter of, of, of looking for ways that you can partner with the business community, ways in which you can find donors who are willing to uh, support student scholarships. And uh, so I think that's, uh, I would say those are some of the things that, that they're looking for, but above all a personal, personal values as you lead the system and uh, that uh, those kinds of things that make things work well. Yeah. And I, always, I always tell my, my, my president candidates uh, when I do this, uh, when they're selected, job one is the board, job two is the board, job three is the board. 
So regardless of where, you know, and this is, a, you know, I'm doing some work in Minnesota now, uh, where uh, they're onto uh, an equity uh, 2030 project. And so I think that, and they're very interested in looking for people who can enhance that project, but that's out of the system office. So again, but in a statewide group like this uh, in Iowa, it's very different because it's all local boards. So you need to sort of gauge where you are and what kind of system you want to work in. Yeah. So, no, that's really important to understand as well. And so one of the things that you brought up just now was the the word courage. And um wondering if you can say a little bit more about, have you seen examples where courage maybe bit somebody in the behind or? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, we, always, we all have examples of that. Um, and uh, it's uh, courage. I think courage is important. Uh, I, I view myself as an entrepreneurial change agent uh, in that many respects. And we've done a number of things here that uh, our community college leadership program being one of them. We did a lot of work on learning communities to bring them to Iowa State. And uh, so I, th I think it's uh, uh, courage with values. I mean, if people think that you're fair, understanding, and, and, and you look for the people who, who are willing to work with you. Obviously, uh, you know, we always say that, uh, you know, most of the people in the middle uh, will know if they, if they understand. Uh, and obviously, you have the detractors. But if you uh, really... Uh, Think that there's value in these things and you can present the value but i think it's important to uh, understand the value of teams mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, you need to have some people with you uh, who can think and but not not all think alike uh, in that sense uh, you can't have everybody that just like you uh, on a leadership team mm -hmm. and so it's uh, an exciting exciting time and i i do love to, uh, do love to work excuse me and be a a change agent, but it does take courage. Sometimes you're gonna have some times it'll be a little tougher than others, but uh, no, overall, uh, you keep, as I say, you keep your eye on the prize and, uh, and that prize is student success. And that's that's why we're here, so. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And, and, and just kind of shifting gears a little bit about kind of focusing a little bit about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, in your opinion, sort of how how do you feel the pandemic has impacted leaders in 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 and community colleges? What what have you seen um, as sort of maybe some some challenges, but also what are some surprising um, assets that perhaps came out of the community colleges? It was a tough year for all my president yeah. friends and, and the people who were part of the teams, uh, and that uh, you know we received constant communication. From our president Wendy Wenderstein about what we're doing here at Iowa State. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of community colleges, presidents were communicating on a regular basis. And things were changing. I mean, they were changing so much. And in cases I think where people really did well was the fact that they had a strong team working with them and realizing they could make the best judgment they could based on the data that they had. Uh, but I think that, you know, there's certainly some outgrowths of, of uh, this, the amount of work that we can do, like we're doing here with Zoom. Uh, I mean, I conducted three or four searches almost totally by Zoom. Uh, I was, people were concerned about that. And I said, so, well, I said, I've talked to one of my friends, a former employee of mine, who is now a vice president, uh, president of a large consulting firm. And he said, we're doing almost all of it by Zoom given the conditions that exist. I think it was unfortunate we had to shift to online education so quickly. Not all faculty were ready to do that. Uh, and that is what caused uh, some changes. Uh, in that, uh, I think some faculty, of course, obviously, and I'm one of those, I would say, I've taught online, but my preference is face-to-face, -face, as you well know, mm -hmm. uh, and that the interactions that, that can occur. So, so I think we've learned to be much more efficient, much more uh, 
in, in terms of all of this, uh, but it's also at the same time a challenge uh, for for us uh, and all leaders uh, to, in order to do this. And with you know probably you know, changes forever, just like the Vietnam War protests. I mean, we had the protests with the Vietnam War that changed all of us in that respect. And the, so we deal with with what we have. Uh, I was talking with the president yesterday and said she's retiring. He says the toughest year of her life was last year making decisions about students, student lives, and uh, realized it was a disruptive kind of thing. And uh, so the fact that it became political as opposed to uh, medical uh, in that respect. And uh, so it's, uh, so they dealt with as best they could. Others, uh, you know, I've just said, well, you know, we've used as a learning process and now we're, you know, we will not return to business as usual uh, kind yeah. of thing. So I think there are some things about it that will forever change uh, academe, but that's that's the way we've always been. Life events and things that happen change. And we had, and uh, one of the things I liked about higher education is it has great flexibility overall. I mean, and realizing that that needs to change and adapt and move. And uh, uh, that that is the exciting part about it, so. Yeah, no, yeah, I appreciate that. So so what advice do you give your presidents uh, when they're facing challenges or hard times like this? Well, we we talk about the options, uh, but I said, you know, the most important thing is your team. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, you know, I realize that, that, you know, you're gonna be the point person for it all. And uh, you have to develop a little thicker skin in some cases. Uh, but never, never lose sight of your goals and, and your values and, and what you do and realizing that uh, you're not going to make the right decision every time and uh, you do the best you can. And uh, I've had, um, you know, my discussions with them is, is just to, to uh, hear them out, let them talk and uh, get your, your opinion. And I think one of the values about, uh, about all of the working together is that uh, uh, we have connections and uh, that's very important to to keep those connections, friendships, uh, you know, outside the, that's one of the things I encourage about professional development and uh, associations and relationships. One of the things that we know that the cohorts, the Lincoln Click cohorts, as well as the doctoral cohort has done is that these people come to know each other and they're calling each other all the time for advice and comment. So it's a matter of, of those relationships that you build early and people that you trust uh, to talk to. And uh, so uh, that's occasionally where I'll get some some calls about how would you handle this, right? We've got a problem, what do, you, what do you need to do? And so so you need to have, a, we always used to call them personal advisory committee, sort of outline who your who your your go-to people are. And they're not, not gonna be just one person, there we can be more than one person. So I'd say my advice is them to talk to your, talk to your other colleagues, talk to other presidents, uh, talk to uh, your own team, obviously, and also uh, obviously to stay current as possible. Uh, that's a, uh, uh, you know, the kind of thing that with the pandemic, none of us knew exactly where all of this was going. And uh, uh, even the scientists were, you know, dealing with, with all of that. So it's, uh, you know, don't uh, don't isolate yourself is what I would say uh, to them. Uh, and, but also talk to people you can trust uh, because uh, sometimes, uh, well, one of the things I found out is some people are, uh, sorry, what should I say, uh, can't keep a secret or, or uh, you know, uh, do that. So you need to, to be careful if you're about your advisors and who you're talking to. Yeah. So that's one of the things I found out over time. If you if you are gonna if you want somebody want somebody to know something, you know who to tell and uh, <laughs> find the words. You know that and that happens. Yeah. Me, but but on the other hand, it's mostly uh, advice. Yes, we call those cheese muscles. Yeah, yeah, that's what we call so, them. And, but no, it's, yeah, it's no, yeah, that that resonates with me because I know, like I I would not be here without community you know you need that right. community to to help you kind of think through and be thought partners alongside with you and that's right that's right so important so important yeah 
So, we know that there'll be other crises come along. So yeah, no, no, I think it's an ever everlasting thing, and it's good to have some people in our in our corner to sort of support us through those hard times. So, um, so one of the questions. Um, so I, I reached out to your, some of your fans out there in higher education, and so um, our friend from. Um, University of Cincinnati, one of the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs, Juan Guardia. Yes, 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 yes. Um, who was part of my cohort. And of course, he's, you were able to recruit a Cuban from Miami to Iowa. So I feel like that's a lot of accolades. <laughs> when I first met him, I said, you need to think about it. Larry, I will never, ever consider Iowa State. Never, ever. <laughs> I don't care what you do. So I just continue sending him packets of information, talking to him all the time. And uh, so he ended up, he ended up coming yes. here. So. Yes. And you know, we had him, stay, had him stay at our home uh, when he was here for recruitment purposes, all that sort of stuff. So, yes. Yeah. And thank goodness yeah. we did. Yeah. He was a big support for, continues to be a big support for me. But he had a question. He says, you know, of interest, I would, I would love to hear from Larry of all the students he's recruited and assisted in completing their degrees. Are there any students that stood out um, that have persevered? Well, I think there are lots of students that have, you being one of them, uh, you obviously had some life changes occur as you were uh, working through your doctorate. And uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, you were able to come back and complete. I would say certainly Juan was, I talked about, he is my best recruiting uh, individual. And uh, I would say I've recruited and uh, we've had lots of people go on and do uh, great things. But it's also, it's also about the team we had, we had here at the time. Uh, we had people like Laura Rendon, John Shu, Nancy Evans, of course, Dan Robbins, myself, and Frankie Santos Leonan, uh, who was our community. I brought him in for a research. We didn't have a strong research component. And so, uh, in terms of the community college, and he brought that to us. So, it's uh, uh, the kind of thing that uh, I would say that, you know, wow, thinking about all of them. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, it's just been a great experience. And so, it's, uh, but Juan will always be one of my favorite stories. You're also one of my favorite stories. But also, same time, uh, I think I really uh, was concerned about, uh, again, because of Lincoln Click and uh, uh, that uh, we really work with underrepresented groups. And I'm most proud of the fact that uh, that you were able to persevere in, in situations uh, which, uh, uh, you know, were, were difficult at times, I'm sure from a support group perspective, but uh, uh, we have, um, you know, a number of, uh, uh, the president now of, of um, uh, Old Dominion uh, as one of our students. He, although he, was, he did a minor in higher ed, but uh, he's always been a, a great supporter of the program. And so it's, uh, uh, but I'm also proud of the fact that we have uh, many people in leadership roles in the state of Iowa. Most of the administrative teams uh, are well balanced in terms of men, women now. In fact, more women than men. Uh, but uh, looking at the administrative teams now, over half of them have either been uh, in our leadership program uh, with a degree or or one of the programs. So the, all those people I would hold up as as uh, as some of the kinds of people I worked with, not any specific people, but other, other than you two at this point. So. <laughs> no, thanks for that. I appreciate that. And I heard that, I don't know if this number is correct, but you have hooded like around 170 students or something like that. 200. 200. 200, yeah, 200 oh as, as, the, as the chair or the co-chair. Now that happened because we had some people leave and I took over right. students. I mean, it was obviously my role, one of my roles that I enjoyed was finishing people. I, mm -hmm. you know, I, 
and people who you know, I always tell them, if you leave, the chances of you finishing the doctorate are 50-50. And uh, some say, oh, no, I, I, I'll be able to do it. Well, you're going to a new job. You're expected to do all kinds of things, and you're not going to. Uh, not going to be able to finish. So uh, anyway, that's that's the portion of what I know. Statistically, yeah. we're the same as everybody else. But on the other hand, I was always disappointed when someone left and did not finish. So. Mm. Yeah. But I I really enjoyed uh, doing that. I was also the chief marshal for our graduation ceremonies, mm. and uh, so that was always a, a funny event. And a couple of people would say, uh, "How many did you do today?" So it's uh, <laughs> a kind of thing that. But again, it was part of the team. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, well, I was while I was chair of the committee, there were also a lot of other people who were on the dissertation committees and the master's committees that, that really helped. Uh, yeah. So. Wow, two hundred, Larry. Wow, that's amazing. I'm, I even like, I'm looking at my own advising load, which I fear is a little bit mirroring Larry Everts because I have about twenty four students right now that I'm advising. You know, well, they were always the graduate dean was always on me. How can you do this many students? And uh, I said, well, I said part of it is. It's, it's integrated work with my, my other work. And uh, mm -hmm. so it's, uh, you know, we were working on uh, ways in which they could do it. And uh, uh, that uh, we started a special cohort program for yeah. community college PhD program. Uh, a little bit of guts and facts. Tim Davies was coming into Iowa and uh, offering uh, the program, uh, you know, uh, for community college leaders. And we did have a couple of people compete. A couple of presidents came to me and said, Larry, why, why, are, why, why are they doing that and you guys are not? So we, that's how we got started doing it. So yeah, yeah, that's amazing. The, the other part of one's question was, were there any challenges during your time as an administrator that in hindsight, you would have made a different decision? Um, I, I don't know if I've made a different decision, uh, but it was, uh, uh, you know, you always think about, you know, if, along the way you certainly would have, said, well, I may have done that a little bit differently. We had a, we had a real challenge uh, in that uh, leadership in the college was not being very successful. Uh, we had uh, 30, 32 vacancies and uh, I uh, uh, said, we've got to do something about this. Well, the administrator decided to ultimately uh, give up her deanship. Uh, and uh, so we were involved in recreating the college. The president came over and said, if you don't change this, you're not going to be a college. Uh, we, we were doing no grants, very few publications. We were just not not a scholarly group in any sense. He said, "You need to turn it around." So we had an interim dean, uh, and I, Camilla Benbow, and uh, I went in as associate dean uh, on an interim basis, and well, there was another guy by the name of Dan Rashley. And so we served as the there were there were no department chairs. Everybody was interim, uh, and uh, there was no leadership. And so we said, "There's a leadership vacuum here." And so we became the search committee to go out and recruit high, high qualified scholars in each of the areas within the college, which we did do. Uh, that's how we got John Chu. That's how we got Nancy Evans, ultimately got uh, Laura Rendon. Uh, so uh, uh, that, and Frankie on. And so uh, it was a matter of, of uh, lots of challenges along the way about what we were doing, how we were doing it. And uh, we also had involved in a sexual harassment case at that time. Uh, uh, that people were coming up to me at, at the gym saying, you guys are wrong, you're out of bounds, you have no credibility, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was a, it was a challenging time, but uh, you know, we probably made a few mistakes along the way there, and, uh, but uh, uh, ultimately uh, we had resolution of the sexual harassment case, as well as bringing in all the outstanding faculty that we had at that time, so. 
No, for sure. I was been a benefactor of all those outstanding faculty for sure. Yeah, the other thing is I was going back to, we had another president who, uh, who uh, uh, I was on the search committee for it, uh, came from Texas A&M that, that uh, gave us some money to recruit students of color. Mm -hmm. uh, we did this through a lunch, Jim Sweeney and I, uh, Jim Sweeney was on the ed ed part, I was on the higher ed part. And we had lunch with him, uh, President. I'll think of it here in a little bit. <laughs> anyway, he uh, he said, so we got some money. And uh, so anyway, so we got back to the offices. And the dean called me and said, Larry, so tell me what's going on. He said, I just got a call from uh, the assistant to the president said, you guys got a bunch of money to do minority. I said, that's right. He said, well, the, the assistant president wasn't real happy about it, but they made the commitment. So I just uh, going around the, the system. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you can get caught with doing that. Uh, but uh, so that was one of the challenging times we did it. And uh, if you know and understand the system, you can go around it. Unfortunately, I had a very good relationship with Dean Lager Morsino, so he was not upset. In fact, he was happy. Uh, so he didn't tell the president that, but uh, or the, the one, the, uh, whatever they call him, the executive vice president, I guess was his name. So, nice, nice. so sometimes you have to do that to, you know, knowing that uh, uh, we had the conversations always about, uh, well, uh, you know, Oh, really? Did I know that? Oh, no, I didn't. Sorry. Well, we've done it anyway. So uh, then you have to do that. So anyway, it's all it's all part of leadership in a variety of ways. Yes, yes. Going around the system sometimes is very helpful. But make sure that uh, you if you get caught and they, they're asking you for an apology, to apologize to. Apologize, but uh, you know what? The, that, the act was done, the deed was done. And right, so. right. Um, so one of my last questions for you is, what are your hopes and dreams for the next generation of higher education leaders? What well, is I, like? yeah. I don't know if you've read, uh, I saw the NASPA report. Did you? I don't know if you saw the new NASPA task report. Mm -hmm. It said that, uh, what, 67% would continue, but a third of them were considering leaving the field and 25% said they never returned to the field. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's the ebb and flow of, of, uh, of life in that respect. You know, you always, we find a number of people who left their businesses, uh, who are doing other kinds of things. And so uh, as long as we have students, I have hope uh, and that uh, they're willing to to go for things. One of the issues in Iowa right now is the transgender, uh, they, uh, the law that just came in. And uh, today, students from Waukee High School uh, were walking out in protest of the new law. And uh, so it's a, uh, you know, as long as we have students and people who believe in these things, I think there's a great future. Now, I, I think most of us got into the profession uh, because of someone who said, well, oftentimes I say, well, I didn't know there was this kind of a profession, uh, higher education. And uh, they said, I'd, li I'd like to do that. Or we have said to people, have you thought about that? And uh, so it's uh, uh, the kind of thing that uh, we really, uh, I, so I, I think with the, I go back to uh, uh, art, um, Levine, uh, who was a, and still writing. Uh, we had a number of interactions with him, right on campus a couple of times. Uh, uh, and he said that, you know, we're in the we and I cycles if we go through every, about every 40 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't read his, I've, and I haven't really talked to him lately, but uh, uh, he is saying, you know, we've had every four year cycles and, and we've been in a real I cycle. Uh, and, uh, but I think that new, the new generation, I see this in, uh, our granddaughters and grandsons. Uh, it's a new generation, and uh, and they're moving more to we than they are I. Uh, and I realize that the, you know the uh, the Gen Zs are are pretty much millennials are pretty much focused on themselves. 
but I, th I think there's some real movement as we see all of these issues running around. So we're moving to a different cycle. Uh, I, I hope that, that we are, and I think we are, in terms of we need to return to civility, we, we need to return to community, and uh, that uh, we've been in pretty divisive politics for the last few years, and uh, somehow we need to get through that, but have trust that we will, uh, and that uh, I think there's a real future in higher education. Uh, my, uh, my grandson, who's coming to Iowa State this fall, by the way, nice. uh, from, from Indianapolis, which is, a, I can go into the whole recruiting effort there. I tried not tried to stay out of it, but uh, it worked. So anyway, it's a, he said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm thinking, he said, I want to get my own lab, but he's going to be an ag and biosystems engineer. He said, I'm going to get my own lab and I want to be a professor. And he said, work with students. He said, that would to me would be exciting. So it's, uh, you know, so I we always sort of say, oh, wow, what are we doing here? We look like we're on a down cycle. There's always hope. And uh, I just think that, uh, you know, we've got to figure out a way to, to restore the academy in some respects. And yet, you know, that there will always be controversial things coming out of the academy, but that's why we're here. That's what we do. And uh, so it's, it's a matter of finding those leaders who have that authenticity, uh, the courage, the, uh, the values uh, that, that keep us centered. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. I'm concerned about funding, but, but we've always, you know, for 55 years in higher education, we've always been concerned about funding and mm -hmm. figuring out ways in which we can do it. To, you know, we have, we just completed a, a many campuses are to a billion dollar campaign here at Iowa State. And the majority of us for student scholarships. So yeah. that's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. So yeah, for sure. Awesome. So I, I have hope uh, that uh, I'm not pessimistic, but on the other hand, you know, you still keep involved and, uh, but you guys are the future. And uh, so I do believe in legacies and uh, that, uh, that we'd all learn from others. I can point to mine and, and I'm sure, you know, all of us who've been involved in this business say it is, and I'm more convinced it's about legacy than anything else. If you look around the leaders there, the people who have been taught by other leaders, and that's that's the beauty of higher ed, uh, in the sense that uh, whether it be in the classroom, uh, you know, I still have, I still think about some of the faculty that I had, uh, but I also think about the administrators that I had, and so it's uh, it's fun, it's fun, it's really yeah. fun. So now that's that's amazing. That that gives us a lot of hope to think about too. And um, I just want to thank you because I know fifty years is an amazing career and to still continue to be standing here and also just sort of having that hope and having that joy for our field. I think sometimes we get in caught up sometimes in the, in the negative, you know, I mean, we're trying to like pull out, you know, put out all these fires and, you know, th many things are coming at us at once, you know, within the field of higher education and people are feeling burned out after um, all these years. And I think um, this conversation hopefully has been really restorative for, for me and also our audience. And, and also grateful that I get to stand on your shoulders and what a legacy that you've left for all of your students and, um, and for, for many of us that, are, that you've helped kind of build and, and lift up in, in many years. And so, so thank you for um, continuing to uplift many of us that are still in the field and um, for always being a sounding board when we need to call you in an emergency about what to do. So um, I'm grateful for you and your time and for sharing all that you have learned throughout your 50 year career um, with our listeners here. So thank you. Well, it's been my pleasure. And I've just, uh, you know, I love watching all of you guys and the contributions that you're making and, and the friendships that you're developing in the communities. And that's the really important part about, about what we do and, and uh, bringing it into the future. So thank you, Suzanne, I'm best of what 
Best of luck to you as you continue. And obviously, you're one of our bright stars. I appreciate that uh, kind of work that you're doing. I remember when you came and talked about a dissertation topic, and you said, I don't know. I said, go for it. Go yep. for it. So, yeah. Yep. So. It's, it's made, uh, yep. It's really, it's been a rewarding career because of that choice. Yeah. Um, but thank you again for, for being here and you for your time, your generosity, um, for sharing today. Uh, listeners, you can receive reminders about this and other episodes by subscribing to Student Affairs Now newsletter or browsing our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today, thank you to our sponsors today, Leadership. Leadership partners with universities and colleges to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtually and in-person for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find more, please visit uh, leadership.org, virtual programs, or connecting with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Stylist is also a proud sponsor of Student Affairs Now today. Browse through their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at stylistpub.com and use the promo code SANOW for 30% off all books and plus free shipping. You can also find them on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So huge shout out to, to Natalie Ambrosi, the production assistant for the podcast who does all the behind the scenes work to make us look good and sound good. So if you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the homepage to add your email um, to our MailChimp list. So while you are there, check out all of our archives. I'm Susana Munoz. Thanks again to Dr. Larry Ebers today um, and everyone who is listening and watching, make it a great week. 